The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Pam Minicello. Project Director at the Massachusetts eHealth Collaborative. Pam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jill. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much for making the time today. Before we start our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Sure. I'm a registered nurse by trade, and for longer than I care to admit, I've had several clinical background in history where I've worked in the ambulatory as well as the inpatient environment as well as community health and behavioral health in the Western New York region for the first part of my career. I got into health information technology, EHR implementation, about 12 years ago. I was working for a large multi-specialty clinic that was implementing an EHR, and I was introduced into this type of work through that role of helping them integrate the EHR from a clinical perspective and making sure that the configuration met the clinical workflow. So I've been doing this type of work now for the last 12 years. I've been with the Massey Health Collaborative for the last six years. I'm a project director with the collaborative, and I oversee our New York team's efforts, as well as our quality program and clinical warehouse, the measure and and the coding oversight business development that way. Perfect. And could you take the next couple of minutes, provide our audience with a 10,000-foot overview of the Mass eHealth Collaborative? Sure. The Mass eHealth Collaborative, or MAAC, as we're called, was created in 2004 under a grant project under the leadership of the American College of Physicians and the Massachusetts Medical Society and also Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Massachusetts with the goal in mind of taking expanding HIE, or Health Information Exchange, and EHR technology across three pilot communities across the state of Massachusetts. Since the inception of that pilot, when the pilot was over, the mission, it was decided, really wasn't complete. So the Massachusetts eHealth Collaborative continued beyond there, and we continue to follow that mission today. We're not an overly large firm. We're small, but we provide services for quality data warehousing, EHR implementation, optimization, in practices as well as strategy development, technology implementation across really anywhere anymore. We used to focus just in Massachusetts, but my team focuses not only in New York, but also in Massachusetts. We have clients that are even outside of the Northeast with our quality data warehouse. So we've really expanded quite a bit. Outstanding. Everybody that listens to our show knows we spent $38 billion screwing in EHR technology over the last few years. How has that EHR technology influenced the clinical workflow of small practices? Well, (laughs) 
it fits in. It's difficult, I think, sometimes in the smaller practices in some ways, and in some ways I think it's actually easier depending on the organizations, right? Right. So in the smaller practices, they generally have less resources, so they really have to carve out time with the resources that they have or they have to bring in people to assist them, either their vendors or someone from the outside like us to assist them in implementing as well as optimizing. I mean, implementation is starting to somewhat go away, but optimizing those workflows, making sure that they're actually utilizing the EHR is really one of their primary focuses now, especially in the small practice. So at times, if they can do that, if they choose to take that effort, they really end up utilizing that EHR and streamlining their processes because they have to. They don't have as many people to do it. In the larger organizations, there's more people and more people take more time and it becomes less and less and less standardized as you go down the food chain. So I think that sometimes with small practice, it works out better, but not always. Yeah, I agree with you, Pam. I want to give a big amen to something you just said. It's, I think, imperative on these small practices, especially those with a small or non-existent IT staff, to seek external help. When you seek external help, when you get people that have been there before that have done this 10, 11, 12 times, it's great for your own practice to go through the learning process and to learn how to implement a system. But I don't care how good your people are. You cannot be as good as somebody's done it 10 times or 12 times or even five times. So seeking some external help is the prudent thing to do. Now, the dilemma becomes how much external help do you let somebody do all the work? You need to do some of the work and you need to take some of that responsibility on yourself. So you're learning and you're understanding why you've configured the system you have. Mm -hmm. So many doctors we're hearing today are so upset with their EHR. And as someone who made their living for 25 years installing and implementing systems, I can tell you the systems aren't at fault. I often went in and replaced systems that were terrible and stunk and (laughs) they had to be replaced. You know what? Mm -hmm. If we'd spent time, we could have made those systems work better. Absolutely. A lot better. And instead, they were so emotionally over the systems, they had to replace them with new systems. Right. Fortunately, I learned early in my career to come up with a different way of implementing systems where they wouldn't be unhappy so fast with them. But I still think it's important for any implementation of a new system that you get the right amount of external support. So I'm sorry to take take the mic over there for a second, but what would you add to that to my opinions there? I absolutely agree with you. We'll get called in and into an organization, they'll say, well, they want to do what they call either rip and replace or this thing is terrible, it doesn't work, it doesn't work for our clinical flow, it doesn't do this, blah, blah, blah. And when you dig down into it and you say, my first questions usually are, Okay, well, tell me what's not working because that's a pretty big global statement of it's horrible, right? Not everything can be horrible about the whole thing. So what are your pain points? And as you start to have that conversation, you begin to tease out exactly what you just said, Joe, is that no one took the time. They either took it right out of the box and turned it on and did little to no configuration or did not evaluate against their workflow and tried to adjust workflows. They tried to like take that EHR and push it into existent workflows, which doesn't always work. Or using progress note templates that 
they didn't customize to include key assessment points or terminology, either order sets, things like that, that they were there. So it's just this great big template that they've got to find what they're looking for. So going through those things, developing those workflows, identifying nothing can replace doing a current state assessment and then a future state of what you're going to do and say, okay, what do we do today and what are we going to do tomorrow in this electronic environment and making sure that you evaluate that and then looking at the system and configuring it to meet your needs and the workflows that you're going to deploy. On top of that, appropriate and proper training of all of your staff and reinforce that training. Amen, amen, amen. I'm not going to put this soapbox away since we have it out, Pam. One of the things that I learned, I mentioned I learned a way to implement systems differently. Under no circumstances should you implement a new system without doing a current state assessment, an assessment of what the real problems are. Right. As a consultant, I'd be called in because there'd be this massive problem going on, quote unquote, at a facility. Our system's going down seven times a month. Right. And we'd insist that we do an assessment, and we'd go in and we'd do an assessment. Well, it turns out it wasn't the system going down. It was the network going down or the interface engine going down. (laughs) And the system we were talking about was doing just fine. Now, it was underutilized, underimplemented. The workflows didn't suit the practice of the clinical operation very well, and all those things needed to be adjusted, but we needed to fortify the things that were going down, we're actually created a project in another area. Exactly. And if you don't do those current state assessments, you'll end up unhappy all the time. So exactly. So thank you for pointing that out. It's really important. What are some other lessons that you've learned through your initiatives with HIE initiatives and EMR initiatives with your clients and customers? Sure. Our HIE initiatives, we're fortunate in our region of the country, in New York and in New England, is that we have established HIEs that really are doing great things and are really functional and working within their communities and regions to share that information. In the Capital District area where I predominantly work in New York State, we have a local Rio there, Hickney, that all of the organizations really are participating with. And I can tell you, we our experience has been, one, helping implement that at the practice level and then developing those workflows and helping those organizations understand the benefits of the health information exchange, what it can do for them for care coordination, what it can do for them for population management, and implementing and showing them the benefits of the HIE so that they do adopt and they do implement. So that's actually one of my more favorite things to do (laughs) because I think it has a real, real purpose. (laughs) It really does. Especially New York State is a big state. We go from very urban areas and then 30, 40, 50 miles of rural. So there's a lot of rural hospitals and, and care facilities in between these large cities that need connection with these larger cities at times, and they can share that information. They'll take a patient and they'll transfer them. And establishing like the HIE in those areas and that exchange of that information is just vital to that care. It's just absolutely vital. 
So that's where my heart lies. Being a nurse, I always try to think of how we're going to better that care for the patient. Absolutely. That what are we doing to make this either save their life or at least coordinated care so that they don't have duplicative testing. And that's what it's all about, right? Healthcare for patients. One of the topics on our show that we often talk about is why is healthcare designed around providers instead of consumers, instead of the patients? And I hope that over the next 25 years that we see that change as a payment model changes as consumers are becoming more and more responsible for the payment of their health care, that they get to be treated like the consumer instead of a cog in this big, ugly machine. I agree. I think it will start to change with the payment changes that are initiatives in place now or that are going to be with macro myths being released just the other day. But I also think, too, is that you'll see, which I know you're aware of, but the use of the patient experience data, right? So programs such as MIPS and MACRA and PQRS, that patient experience, that patient satisfaction surveys, patient-centered medical home initiatives where the patient and caregiver experience is at the center of that care, that's not only starting to change the providers and healthcare organizations perception, but also our our patients. I think our parents and to a degree people in my age group, we were raised as you are not a consumer in healthcare. You listen to what the doctor says. You have to go along with the process, right? But people now are more and more, not so much questioning, but they do take into account how they're treated, what services are offered, how things are communicated, if they actually they get along well with their doctor, where that never occurred before. I'm going to apologize in advance for using a four-letter word, even though it has more letters. Interoperability. What can we do to increase the success of health IT interoperability? Uh, <laughs> well, we could be there. We could be there forever. So what can we do? I think that what we can do is increase the interoperability. It's difficult. We have disparate systems, and I'm not one for whittling down the current market to just a few vendors, but I think setting those standards where it's easier and easier for these systems to communicate back and forth, I think that would go a long way. And everybody was following at least some kind of minimum standard, and I know we're trying to put that in place, but it's not as easy as it sounds on paper. So really coming down and and setting those bare requirements because that exchange of that health information is so important and making sure that we have the lab interfaces and just increasing that communication not only within a region, but really the ultimate goal is across the United States. So we have to get all of the groundwork done maybe first, getting that foundation laid and laid properly. Absolutely. What are some of the other issues that you see the practices and providers that you're dealing with? What are some of the things that you're helping them with that we haven't talked about yet? We do a lot of work, as I said, around optimization and streamlining their workflows to increase the adoption and utilization of their EHR, really kind of gearing towards more quality performance so that they're capturing the data elements needed for quality metrics, population management so that they can identify at-risk patient populations for care coordination or care management services. So that's a prime area of focus for our team right now. 
and really one of the ones that is close to my heart as well because of that patient care. And that's one of, I think, the best parts of EHR technology and one of the major selling points is is that in no other form before in healthcare were we easily able to identify patients that met risk profiles, right? You couldn't do that in a paper world where you could say, I want to see my diabetic patients that have had a previous MI or have high cholesterol and have diabetic retinopathy. You couldn't do that in the paper world unless you were utilizing claims data, and even then, it wasn't clear. You can do that now in EHR technology and start to manage those populations. So we're really focusing on efforts like that. We work with ACOs some accountable care organizations in implementing these processes so that they can implement care coordination, care management services, standardizing high-risk patient populations, and then working at the practice level to make sure that they're capturing the data in their EHR in order to identify these populations as well as provide them appropriate management without disrupting their workflow so much, so streamlining it building order sets, configuring the templates so that they work for the provider. Outstanding. I'm going to throw you a crazy question. I don't often talk about this, but I am a PMP. I'm a certified project manager. And one of the things that I always felt was important was good project management on our projects. What would you recommend to your practices in terms of project management as they engage in projects with you and maybe you're not there because it's in some other geography. When we're working with a practice, we always put project management methodologies in place. Either if it's a smaller practice or a smaller group, we may not have a PMP like yourself managing the project, but we do have a project manager assigned or I'll manage the project myself through a project plan. I'm a big fan of the project plan. I think that it keeps everybody, keeps us all honest and keeps us all on track as to where we are and really helps define it. So we always implement a project management approach in utilizing plans. Anybody who's not using us, I agree with you. Project plan, it doesn't have to be made in Microsoft Project. It doesn't even have to be made in Excel. Even if you're small, you can still do project management skills. You can still have a plan, even if you write it out on paper. But have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. And ask the questions. Make sure that you're, so you understand you're maintaining your timeline so it's not rushed. And push back. These are where your issues and that will be identified is through your plan and how you're progressing. Absolutely. Because this has been such an issue for me throughout the following, project management is a job. You don't have someone do project management off the side of their desk. What do I mean by that? They have another job, but you're assigning them to be project manager of this project. Most projects that you'll undertake, you need at least a half or a full-time project manager, especially something like replacing an EHR. And that project manager has a job beyond the configuration. It's not the configuration of the new system. They need to plan and schedule meetings. They need to double-check people's work. They need to coordinate schedules of activities. They need to do risk management. Right. They need to coordinate with outside vendors. They need to coordinate with technology folks. They have a job. Project management is not doing the work of the project. Their job is to manage the people doing the work of the project. And if you think that you can get by without project management, that's why 80% of projects fail. So 
use a project manager, have them do the job of project management and have them, like you said, build a plan, ask the questions, push back. But you got to give them the opportunity to do that by giving them the time to do that. If you're going to assign a project manager from inside the organization, take away their responsibilities for the period of time of which you're going to give them on a project because projects fail for a lot of reasons, but you will fail if you don't have a good project manager and they don't have the time to manage the project for you. And it's almost that simple. There's a hundred other reasons it could fail after that, but you're sure to fail. To get lucky enough to succeed without having project management, I've not seen that happen at all. And I'd say I don't recommend it. So anyways, this has been so fun getting up on the soapbox with you, talking about implementation. What's next for the eHealth Collaborative? What are you guys working on that you think your customers might be excited about? We have lots of exciting things going on. We have the quality data warehouse where we take in clinical and claims data from organizations and can help generate the quality metrics for them related to either right now for this year PQRS or ACOs measures, private payer initiatives. We also do the specialized registries that are required for meaningful use. So we have specialized registry services. So that's really a lot of where our quote-unquote cutting-edge work is going. And we're doing great things with the QDC, which I'm involved in from the clinical perspective, which is great. It's very exciting for me. On top of that, where right now, I mean, you know that MIPS and NACRED came out, so we expect to be inundated here pretty soon with questions. We already are, but we just need to digest that first and understand it so that we make sure that we're sending the appropriate and clear message to our folks that ask us and we begin to work with. We have those services, but it all goes around, even with the regulations for under MIPS and MACRA, it's still really those key components, right, of our service packages of optimizing those workflows, quality data performance, and clinical implementation of quality performance workflows. It's all the same. It's going to help you with all of those things. So that's where our focuses are. We work with that and we do all sorts of great things with various organizations, but it usually falls within those buckets. Outstanding. Well, we have everyone's attention. I want everybody to pull out their keyboard, go to www.maehc.org, bookmark that site, Keep up with them on a regular basis. There's new and interesting information they're sharing almost every week. So bookmark that site and keep up with the great work that Pam and her team and all the great people at the eHealth Collaborative are doing. Pam, it was so great to have you. Thanks for sharing all your great wisdom with us today. Oh, thanks so much, Joe. Been my pleasure. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guests, Pam Minicello, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. 